0: start by reading you some passages James chapter 3 verses 3 through 9 Behold we put bits in horses mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body Behold also the ships which though they be so great and are driven by of fierce winds yet are they turned about with a very small helm whithersoever the governor listeth, even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things of the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless God, even the Father. And therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Proverbs 16 and verse 24, it's written, Pleasant words are as an honeycomb sweet to the soul and health to the bones Proverbs 18 and verse 21 death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof And the gospel according to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 11 not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man but that which cometh out of the mouth this defileth a man The power of the spoken word is indisputable. Anyone who tells you otherwise is just trying to manipulate you. So if you think about it, no matter what anyone says on the matter, it's an exercise of power, either to manipulate or to educate. And education itself is a form of manipulation, manipulating the mind into understanding new concepts or new ways of looking at old concepts. Regardless, truth remains intact regardless of our thoughts, regardless of our opinions. But the more we learn, the better we're able to actively engage with one another in discussing the truth, or at least discussing our perceptions of the truth. And that, in turn, leads to a continual exercise of that same power, either by enlightening others with our opinions or helping to shape the opinions of others by introducing new information. The spoken word is a powerful force, it is powerful. It changes the world around us in a certain sense, but it's also directly limited by the natural law and the fundamental nature of objective reality, those same things which are rooted in the fundamental nature of God. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Average Apologetics Podcast. I'm Corey, your average apologist, average and little more. I come to you just as I come before our Lord and Savior, just as I am. Nothing more, nothing less. Today's show, or today's episode, whatever you want to call it, that'll be more funny as we get into this episode a bit more. Whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to say, whatever word you want to use, Today's episode is going to be a bit lighter than yesterday's, at least from my perspective. We discussed yesterday the devaluation of human life, the societal shift in viewing life as a mere object or something to be manipulated at will, discarded if it gets in your way, primarily through the extension of the ideology of Marxism, which we saw that conflation of ideas come to a head when one of our military lieutenant colonels was fired for daring to speak ill of marxism and critical race theory we'll be doing a a more a more close examination of critical race theory further into our study on our our study series on marxism so have no fear that is a subject matter that needs our attention and we will delve into it but not today not exactly today i want to take you down a more philosophical road to look at the theory of language, and both the fundamental power and limitations of the spoken word. I opened by reading some passages from scripture that express the power of our words, both to do good and to do evil, and that expresses how our ability to speak, to communicate to one another, is both one of our greatest abilities and our singularly greatest weakness. We're going to discuss the impact of our ability to speak, to interact, to communicate. But before we do that, we're going to take a look at this little thing that we call language. I want to take just a moment before digging into this material to, again, thank all of you who listen. Thank all, th- thanks to all of you, all of you in the listening audience who who care to tune into this podcast. I hope this is a benefit to you. I hope that this is something that you can enjoy enjoy. Uh, at the very least, enjoy in, in the sense that it benefits your growth in knowledge, that it benefits you, whether that's in an apologetic pursuit, whether that's simply as a Christian or even as a non-Christian. If you find some educational or entertainment value in what I present in this content, I would like to ask each and every one of you that you would continue to support this podcast by... Prayer. I I know that prayer from non-Christians is is not really asking much, but for Christians, that's, that's definitely asking something significant, but also to share it with your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your worst enemies. Share it on social media. Spread the word. Spread the word if this podcast, if you enjoy this content and if this podcast benefits you. But let's get started. This little thing that we call language. Now, from an English-speaking country here in the United States when we have an encounter with someone who speaks Spanish or French or German or Arabic, Chinese, Japanese, any other language besides English. If we only speak English, when we hear speech or see writing in any other language, it makes zero sense whatsoever. Now, if we know a little bit about another language, it does make a difference. For example, I studied French in high school, and also in, I think, either one semester or one year in college. So I have somewhere around three years of study in French. After being out of college, though, for about ten years now, and having been around a grand total of zero people who know really any French whatsoever, I can't I can't really say that, that I could pass so much as for asking for directions if i were to visit paris my conversational french has been effectively eliminated whereas after my initial studies especially the the two years or so that i had in high school i could hold a conversation fairly well thanks to an incredible french teacher who held her students to a very high standard and was beyond strict when it came to only speaking and writing in French in her classroom after we learned even just the basics. It was an environment that, after becoming a father, I now understand is very similar to a small child learning to talk and interact for the first time. Language being learned in that condition, it isn't about learning words and phrases, but comprehending the functional aspects of a system of symbolism that represents real-world concepts. It wasn't as simple as just correlating English terms to their French counterparts. It was a matter of understanding the world from a French perspective, understanding it from scratch. And even with my vocabulary severely diminished now, that part, that understanding remains ingrained in my mind to this day. The basics of how concepts are related in their general syntax, how the flow of the sentences in French, feels very different from the flow and order of the the parts of speech in English. The differences in how objects and verbs and their modifiers are organized, not in the sense of how they appear on paper, but in how they are organized in your mind when you're stringing together your thoughts before you even speak. Having that kind of experience gave me an early window into seeing language for what it really is. You see, when we talk about language... Oftentimes, that we speak in terms of specific languages like English or Spanish or French. When we speak and when we read and when we write, we're using those language sets to communicate our thoughts and ideas. But ultimately, those language sets are really just specialized sets of symbols and sound patterns designated to represent real-world data. Some of those symbols and sound patterns correlate fairly closely, or even identically, between language sets. For example, the the English word table is very close to the French word table, whereas the, the the only difference there really is the pronunciation. If you look in the Spanish for table, you have mesa, where both the sound and the symbol are very different, yet the concept, the concept being related in each of those three languages is the same. And it's because the root concepts that we're trying to relate are universal, because they are real, tangible, objective, object, objectively real concepts, we are then able to translate the intended meaning from one language into another. But of course that requires specialized knowledge of the individual language systems to do so. And because each system of language has its own special set of rules for structure and syntax, that makes it even more complicated. And that the same applies to any form of language, whether it's spoken, written, or functional, like uh, like computer code. You know, while, while we don't speak or write in binary code, when people were first creating computer processors, they established that rudimentary system of alternating ones and zeros to create a system of internal communication between the components of a computer. And now, computer coders use all sorts of coding languages, Java, C++, etc., to create just about anything that they want within the parameters of what the computer is capable of simulating. Because you see, a computer is only capable of doing what? It's only capable of computing and processing information as far as we are capable of programming it to do so. Furthermore, that computer is limited by its components. It can only compile and configure data at a certain rate of speed or in certain volumes determined by the parts that make up the whole. So in other words, there are physical limitations to how much it can process and how effective those processes are. And just like the limitations on a computer, we too have limitations. We have limitations as to how much and how well we can communicate. Now of course when it comes to our ability to communicate we can enhance that we can we can hone that as a skill we can gain we can gain knowledge in our vocabulary we can study other languages we can grow our overall linguistic capacity that's true but there are still some physical limitations as far as our physical bodies our our mental faculties you know each of us have have different capacities as individuals we all, we all process data at different rates you know every human brain is incredibly similar but it's also incredibly unique just like our genetic code is incredibly similar but it is also ultimately individually unique so in other words there are physical limitations to how much we can process in the same way that there are physical limitations to how much a computer can process so both the written and spoken word both the written and spoken word as they come through us equally have limitations rooted in the fundamentals of objective reality a word can only have so many meanings before it too depreciates in value if a single word has one meaning then it has one specific value. If we say the word table means a table, that's one value. But when you begin to add additional meanings, additional connotations, then the value becomes spread thinner and thinner. We can refer to a table as a physical wooden table or a dining table, something that sits in a room and you put stuff on top of it or you you eat on it or you work on it or you can use the term table in the context of organization and charting. You could say that you have a data table. You have a chart that is a a table. It has rows and columns of information. You're adding different connotations to the same term. Now of course that differs between different language sets. So what what I mean by this is that a word a set of sounds or symbols in any given language can only be used to specify so much before it fails to have a legitimate meaning. And we see this transformation all the time through colloquial speech, through euphemisms, through slang. There are certain phrases in the English language that now they've been assigned totally different meanings than their original designation. For example, Take the word gay. It's an an English word that by original designation refers to happiness. In particular, it refers to a state of happiness due to some set of circumstances. It's a kind of reactionary or situational state of being. And that's in direct relation with experiencing happiness and joy. Whereas in 2021, if you hear someone use the term gay or see it written almost universally, you automatically associate it with what? You associate it with homosexuality, which is a completely different concept from the original designation, from the original meaning. Now, has the original definition changed? Intellectually speaking, no, it hasn't. By definition, gay means what it always meant, a reference to happiness. But culturally it now is assumed to be in reference to homosexual behavior, specifically homosexual behavior in men. Now we're seeing this transformation take on an entirely new dimension, where society is no longer satisfied with merely reshaping the usage of language to identify multiple concepts. Using the same terminology to identify multiple concepts, that's, that's not good enough anymore. Now society is actively attempting to reshape reality and they're doing so by nullifying language altogether and that my friends is really the ultimate modern day example of what jesus meant when he told the pharisees that it wasn't what went into a man that corrupted him or defiled him but what came out of his mouth more after this Hey everybody, I want to thank all of you listeners for sticking with me in this podcast. It's a bit of a learning curve and I know I still have a long way to go before I get things really ironed out, but we are definitely moving in the right direction and it's only due to your continued support that I can keep up the energy and determination to keep going. With that being said, I would like to announce the launch of the Average Apologetics Patreon page. My goal with Average Apologetics has always been to share the word of God and help provide some assistance along the way for others like me who have an interest in apologetics and learning more about how to take a stand for the truth in each of our lives. Doing that takes time and energy to produce content that will benefit the community. While that time is definitely well spent, it does cut into the time that I am able to spend working on my other pursuits like my freelance writing. Between keeping up with a two-year-old and making content for the ministry, it's basically a full-time job. And honestly, that does put a strain on us financially. So, after much prayer and consideration, I'm taking this dilemma to you, my audience. I want to say up front, I intend to continue putting out regular content no matter what. That's my goal. That's my desire. And and I feel that's, that's what I need to do. So long as the Lord allows me the opportunity, I'll keep going. And I'm very adamant that of the ways that anyone, any one of you can support this ministry, the first two ways that need to be prioritized above anything else is through prayer and sharing the content with other people. But there is a third way that you can support this ministry and sites like Patreon make that possible. If you want to support this ministry financially, and are financially stable, and I cannot emphasize that part enough, you can support Average Apologetics on Patreon. You can go directly to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash averageapologetics. That's one word, patreon.com slash averageapologetics. I've also placed a direct link to my Patreon account at the top of the website, averageapologetics.com. That's averageapologetics. Apologetics, one word, no spaces, AverageApologetics.com. And of course, you can usually find links to my website on my social media accounts or on my YouTube channel. So just remember, whether or not you decide to financially support this ministry, you can always, always, always support this ministry through prayer and through sharing the content on social media, which is, frankly, just as important. If you're on social media and you would like to follow me, you can do so on Twitter at AVGApologist, on Parler also at AVGApologist, and on Gab at Average underscore Apologetics. Again, thanks for all your support so far, and I look forward to continue producing content that glorifies God and brings some benefit to you all. So basically, we're now at a point in society where up equals down, equals left, equals right. Okay? Back in 1989, Ingrid Newkirk, the co-founder and current president of PETA, that's the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, was quoted in Vogue magazine saying, A rat is a pig is a dog is a boy. They are all mammals. Now on a surface level, There's a grain of truth in that. There's a grain of truth. All of them are obviously warm-blooded mammals. That much is true, biologically speaking. But the concept of equating rats, pigs, dogs, and human children as equivalent life forms is both a perversion of the biblical view of life and a perversion of objective reality. Biologically speaking, yeah, there are some similarities, but the obvious and overall differences... Distinguish rats, pigs, dogs, and humans as absolutely and unequivocally different creatures. Morally speaking, while unnecessary mistreatment of animals is certainly uncalled for, equating value of any animal life to that of a human child is a denial of the sanctity of life, a denial of the biblical understanding of human beings as the image bearers of God, and a denial of the natural instinct to propagate and preserve humankind. It's not even a matter of superiority, even from a secular level, so much as it is a matter of preservation, to consider your own kind of a higher degree of necessity than other creatures, especially other creatures that you might use for sustenance. Biblical and logical fallacies aside, though, the rudimentary issue that that I want you to see here is that ultimately ultimately what ingrid newkirk in vogue magazine was quoted for saying what this phrase that she used this this almost flippant terminology that that since then has been used again and again and again in various ways is that it ultimately portrays an early example of what we're seeing today in the trans movement a few years back just a few years ago it was transgender the idea that people could change their gender at will and expect other people around them to view them as their preferred gender well now that's moved even farther beyond that now it's moved into trans species and trans fill-in-the-blank I read about a man who wanted to be identified as a tree And wanted to have the pronoun tree self. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but is there any way for a human being to transpose his or herself? And yes, I said the correct biological pronouns there. Is there any way for a human being to transpose his or herself into the biological or genetic structure of a tree or of a dog? of a cat it's not even biologically possible for a human male to alter his chromosomal configuration to make himself into a biological woman it's impossible and yet western society is now going through this drastic transformation where anyone with a whim and a social media account is not only given permission but actively encouraged to try to redefine reality no matter how absurd or how untenable the notion and look there is no logical defense for the trans movement because there's no logical basis there's only an emotional appeal from people suffering or people enabling those who suffer from a variety of pathological neuroses whether you like it or not whether you agree with it or not you cannot alter objective reality You can alter language to a point. You can add or subtract meaning from terminology within reason, but even then you will ultimately invalidate that terminology in the context of societal acceptance of its meaning, just like with the word gay, because a word or phrase with infinite meaning is just a meaningless sound. It's no longer a meaningful, symbolic gesture, because... It can be used to identify too many possible concepts. So at most, you can destroy language. That is the ultimate limitation on language. That's the ultimate limitation on the spoken word. Because you can push things so far, but then, you just, then it's self-destructive. You can destroy language. But even doing so has no real effect on objective reality. Our words may be used to manipulate, to sway one another or they can be used to inspire and enlighten one another, but they can never be used to undo one another fundamentally. But they can never be used to undo one another fundamentally. At their worst, the power of words can cause innocent lives to be ended under false pretenses, but they cannot erase those lives from existence, nor can they cause the false pretenses to magically become true. It's just like making a truth claim. Anyone can claim anything is true, but unless it can be substantiated by verifiable evidence either in the form of empirical data or in the form of a logical argument, then it will only ever be a claim, and nothing more. Words do have power, but that power is finite, and it is directly proportional to the boundaries of our physical reality. But that's all the time we have for today, folks. Remember to subscribe to this podcast, follow this podcast if you have not already, and if you're listening on Apple iTunes, I believe you have the option to give the podcast a rating. So, if you would take time to do that, I would really appreciate it. I've been told that it helps it become more available to other people somehow, but one thing that will definitely help this podcast get out to more people is for each and every one of you, whether by word of mouth or by social media or by both, that if you enjoy this content, if you get some benefit from this content, that I ask you, please, 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 share this content with others. Share the episodes individually. Share the podcast in general. Share it with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, your coworkers, even your worst enemies. You can also follow me on me, on social media. You can follow me on Twitter and Parler, both at Apologist and on gab at average underscore apologetics. Don't forget to check out my website at averageapologetics.com where you can find devotional materials as well as some articles dealing with general Christian apologetics, atheism, and Islam. Until next time, friends, stay strong, keep the faith, and seek the truth in all things. God bless.